Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Online, we are very glad that you are doing that as well, and we hope that uh, you have a great uh, time in worship with us today. Um, Also, uh, we want to release all the teenagers, so if you're high school, junior high, you're free to go. You can head on out. Amen. Release you to go and be a part of what God is doing there. Hallelujah. Also, real quick, I just want uh, to mention uh, to you about Breakthrough uh, tonight. I want to encourage you to come. If you're here today and you are struggling... Uh, last week, I, I, I prayed for folks that were struggling with disappointment, disappointment with God. How many of you know we can be disappointed with God? We talked about that last week. And, you know, if you're struggling, because sometimes things don't always work out the way we want them to, things are, are difficult and, and there's time that passes and our struggles, I want to tell you that this is, this is going to be a great time for you. Amen. So come on out tonight, 6 o'clock, and we'll believe God, and we believe tonight will be your night. Amen? And so that's at 6 o'clock right here at the church. If you have your Bibles, you could turn over to the book of Hebrews with me, and uh, we'll get into that here in just a second. Um, So this morning, uh, I just want to remind you, last week we uh, ministered a message entitled, There's a Lizard in the Prayer Room. Part of that was is so that you would remember, and I'm certain that you probably do remember. And what we talked about last week is we talked about disappointment. We talked about that disappointment does come into all our lives, and sometimes, in fact, we are disappointed with God. Sometimes things don't work out. Our experience is not matching up to what the Word says. And so the Word promises us certain things in our experience doesn't seem to match that, and so sometimes in that delay in what we call God's waiting room between the promise and the manifestation of the promise, in between those times, it can, it can be a little daunting until we see what God's going to do, and so we can walk in some disappointment, we can walk in discouragement, that we can walk in troubled days. In fact, Jesus even said, he says, you know what, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In other words, what he said is, he said, I've denied it the right to harm you. But here's the thing, this is, this is the thing that I've noticed <clears throat> and I've not only noticed it in my life, I've noticed it in others, is that the thing that separates me from being a victim to a victor, you know, come overcoming my disappointments versus my disappointments becoming what define me or walking in that really is my response, how I respond. Because the truth is we are going to have difficult days. And, you know, somehow, somewhere in the midst of that, we have to learn to respond. Years ago, I heard a quote that really revolutionized my thinking, and it's taken me a long time to really integrate this into my life. And even sometimes now, I still struggle with it a little bit. But a woman by the name of Amy Carmichael, she made this statement. She says, nothing anyone says or does to me can harm me unless I submit myself to a wrong reaction of it. And the reality is, is there's so much wisdom in that. 
is what that means is, is my response to what's going on around me has a, has a real effect on whether I'm going to be a victim of what's going on or whether I'm going to be victorious. And ultimately, we want to be victorious because Jesus has given us everything we need. He's given us his word. He's given us his name. He's given us his blood. We have right and authority in the kingdom. He lives within us. We are completely outfitted. We are completely uh, 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 equipped to face all that we need to face with victory. But yet we struggle. And oftentimes the reason we struggle is because we are submitting ourselves to a reaction that's not healthy. Can you say amen to that? And so... I'm happy to say that the lizard has been gotten out of the prayer room. At first, our reaction to it was we allowed our imagination to take us places we shouldn't went. And so anytime I went into the prayer room, I had to keep one eye open because I thought Tyrannosaurus Rex was coming out. And he really wasn't. But our lizard got saved, and so I think he got slain in the spirit because one day we went in there, and he was laying on his back, and we were able to just pick him up and take him out. Now he lives in the desert. He's still alive and living for Jesus out in the back 40 here. And so, uh, you know, so that's, that's a good thing. But this morning what I want to do is I want to take this thought about disappointment a little further, and particularly how we respond, because we really are living in some interesting times. You know, if anything, our, the times that we're living in are maybe, maybe what they are is, is, is a living example of some of the struggles we all go, go through spiritually. Because if you don't believe that we're in these times, just take a moment and watch the news. I, you know, I, I don't recommend it. In fact, I, in fact, I highly recommend that you don't watch. If you want the news, read the Bible. That's the good news. And anything beyond that, you're going to be probably... Uh, uh, bummed out. But we're living in a season where, you know, coronavirus and the ongoing drama, political drama, and the defunding the police and struggle over racism and the insanity of cancel culture and not just to, not to mention the violence and the moral decay that's going on can be a little bit disconcerting. It can be a little bit destabilizing. And, and the truth is it should not come as a shock to us. It shouldn't, because the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And I personally believe we're living in those last days, but I believe personally, to be honest with you, we've been living in the last days for a long time. And so the question that comes to my mind is, what does all this mean? What does it mean for the world? What does it mean for the church? What does it mean for you and I? And, you know, I know... There's many opinions, and they're extreme, and everyone's trying to figure it out, and there's conspiracy theorists, and they have all their thoughts, and the politicians are passing blame, and Christians from all facets of beliefs are weighing in. Is this the end times, or is it something else? Is God judging the world, or is the devil just running amok? And the reality is today, this ain't the first time the world has been in trouble. Okay, this isn't the first time difficulty has come. And see, and that's what always amazes me about Christians. God was pretty clear in the Bible. He said, it's going to be difficult. If they hated you, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. But yet we're all amazed that they hate us. I, I just like, 
It's like, what, what, he meant that. I, you know, and, and, and somewhere along the line, he, he talked about the fact that times would be ta- hard and there would be seasons where things weren't going as well. And, and he told us that. He, he instructed us. Yet we have these moments where we're just kind of taken aback by what's going on. And so in, in, in light of that, what we do is we begin to respond in ways that do not foster the plan of God in our life. We respond in ways that actually hinder the plan of God. And so to be honest with you, I don't know if anyone really knows all that's going on. What we do know, here's what we do know. This has our attention And we have become acutely aware of how fast life can change. And the question that I believe is the most relevant in difficult seasons, whether it's a national thing or whether it's a personal thing, because how many know we can have personal seasons of crisis, is what do I do now? That's a valid question. What do I do now? Do I just hang on and wait for the end? Just hang on to the end? Just white knuckle my way through this? Do I bury my head in the sand and pretend nothing is happening? Do I get mad at God? I'm telling you, I've been mad at God. but I know maybe none of you have, but I've been real mad at God before. I thought that was the right thing to do. Or do we hide in fear? Or do we protest our, the loss of our freedoms? Or do we stand in faith? What, what do we do? Well, listen to me. There is always somebody, someone that will tell you exactly what you want to hear. And there's always somebody that will tell you exactly what you should do. But the question is, what does God want me to do? What does God want us to do? That's the question. And I believe that he is telling us today what he has always told us to do. Because if you go back into biblical history and examine every crisis, national or personal, and travel forward to this day, you will find the answer has always been the same. In some form or another, God has always told his People, both in times of crisis and in peace, he's told them this one thing, come to me, draw near to me, find me, seek me. That's what he's told us to do. But oftentimes what happens is because we get our minds on other things or because we get distracted. See, I really believe, to be honest with you, here's what I believe about all of this stuff. It is a distraction from what God really wants us to do. Look at Jesus said, not John Poole. You can read it in Acts chapter 1. The disciples are, Jesus is about ready to go to heaven. The disciples are there. He tells them, go to Jerusalem, wait for power. And then they look at him and go, is this when you are going to establish your kingdom? In other words, how are you going to wind all this up, Jesus? What are you going to do now? What is the end going to be like? And Jesus redirects them like a good father and says, you pay attention to what I told you to do, and God will take care of that. And see, what's happened to the church is we get so wound up 
and looking at all the problems and the difficulty and all of that. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be informed. Please don't misunderstand. But what I'm saying is we get so wound up in all that stuff that we get sidetracked and we stop doing what God has called us to do. And ultimately, church, what God has called us to do is to come to him. Now, could that be the answer? Could that make the difference? Well, listen to these words. I know this passage is very familiar, but we need to examine it. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their land, uh, forgive their sin and heal their land. Now, one, I, one of the things that I want you to notice is I don't want you to just go into the stereotypical Christian ease thing here. I want you to take a moment and let's look at this scripture, okay? Rather than making this, like I always say, a bumper sticker, let's actually see how it applies to our life, to my life, to your life. Notice the progression. The first thing he says is humble yourself, and what it begins, everything begins with humility. Not humiliation, humility. It begins with coming to God and admitting our need. This is what he's saying. He's saying, look at you have taken on too much into your own hands. You can't do this. Without me, you can do nothing, John 15, 5. Without me, you could do nothing. He says, so humble yourself. In other words, Come to me in humility and admit your need. God, I have this need, whatever it might be. I'm, I'm freaked out about the future. God, I can't, I don't know what's going to happen with corona. I'm afraid. I, I don't know what's going to happen financially. What if the economy collapses? What if, what if, what if they, the one world government comes? God, what, what are we going to do? God says, you can't stop or fix any of that. What you can do is come to me. And you can humble yourself, and you can lay at my feet your need. Right now, God, I'm a little concerned. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do about my own finances. I don't know what to do about my children. I don't know what to do about my health. I don't know what to do about my marriage. I don't know what to do about my home. God, I don't know. I don't know what to do. So I come to you humbly, and I admit my need. And then he says, and pray. In other words, he says, lift that need to him, trusting him with your life. One of the things that I have found, and, and I'll be honest with you, I, am not, I have not arrived, so this is not about me being an expert. This is about me being in process. But one of the great points of therapy, I like saying it this way, that helps me is that when I get overwhelmed, when I get overwhelmed with a problem, and I know when it comes, because I mean it begins to consume my thinking, it begins to put feelings on me. It begins, to, it begins to change how I look at my life. I begin to have different thoughts about the church and about me, and they usually are negative, and I know it's coming. It's on top of me. And so what I do is I stop, and a lot of times I do this when I'm driving. And so I'll leave the church or I'll leave the house coming to the church or whatever, and what I'll do is I'll say to God, God, I cannot fix this problem. If it's with a person, God, I cannot fix that person. God, I can't pay this bill, whatever it is. And I bring that need to him, and I cast that care on him. And I say, God, that's yours. 
Now, everything inside me, all of my human training says that I have just neglected. Because everything inside me says that I need to fix it. That now what I'm being is irresponsible and wanting God to pick up where I left off. And the reality is, is that that is a ploy from heaven. What I need to do is cast my care upon him because he cares for me. And then he says, now seek my face. Now what I want you to do is seek my face. See, the problem, church, is oftentimes we are not seeking his face. We are seeking an answer. What we want is we want an answer. We want a solution. We want a miracle. We want something to change. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's okay. But the reality is, church, sometimes that can be a diversion because we really don't want him. We just want an answer. See, in, in, in these days where in, in our society where it's, it's, it's very, very real to be entitled or to think that society owes us something and that somebody should be paying my way, it's very easy to think that, you know what, somehow God's just going to dole everything out without the corresponding relationship. See, when you begin to understand if you get him, you get everything that comes with him. When you get him, you get his power. When you get him, you get his miracles. When you get him, you get his wisdom. And so what is he saying to us? Seek me, my face. This, this idea of face in the Old Testament, anybody that sought the hand of God was looking for the power of God. But when we seek his face, we are looking for relationship. That's why it says Moses stood face to face with. It wasn't the fact that, that they had this face to face encounter because no man has seen God and lived. What it was is they had a relationship. Are you hearing that? There was a relationship. It wasn't just about God's power. And then it says, and then turn from their wicked ways. Now, now there's no doubt there's some people that need to turn from some wickedness. Can you say amen? But mostly in the Christian community, it's not a bunch of wickedness we got to turn from. I think what, what, what hinders us more than anything is the, is the thing of our indifference or our apathy. See, sometimes Christianity can become so fatalistic. It's like, well, it is what it is. No, it is not what is what it is. We are meant to change it. We are meant to do something. He's given us authority and power and the, and, and, and the power of our words can change atmospheres. And so somewhere what he's doing is to turn from that. Turn from your indifference. Turn from your apathy, your fatalism. And then, what is the then about? Then we will begin to see the results of our seeking. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because in the end, drawing to God, seeking his face, is the only thing that we can do that will make any difference at all. I know it's just my opinion, but it is a consistent pattern in the Word of God. Drawing near to Him, seeking Him, chasing after Him is always good. You know, you're never going to hear from heaven God say, you know, you're really seeking me too much. <laughs> now, I know in human terms... 
We can have people that bug us, right? We can have people that just kind of, you know, irritate us. They're just too much. But God will never do that. God doesn't go, you're bugging me. I, you know, sometimes I do feel like a pain in the rear. But God never sees me as that. God always sees me as his son or daughter. God always sees me in a light of what he created, not in light of my distortion, what sin has done. He always sees me in light of what Jesus did. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And he says, come after me, seek after me. And church, it could be quite possibly the action that will make everything else you do matter. Look at, let me see if I can communicate this the best way I can. By nature, let me just tell you a little bit about myself. By nature, I tend to be codependent. You you say, what does that mean? Codependency, by definition, probably the best definition, it's a very confusing thing, means that I care about your problem more than you do. So therefore, I spend enormous amounts of time, energy, and effort fixing your problem, and you don't even care about it. Yeah. And so what it does is it irritates me, it makes me angry, it makes me feel abused and neglected and all those things. And, and that's, that's, where, that's kind of the twist in me. But I'm also a fixer. So I, I want to fix things. I'm, I'm also, by nature, a control freak. I want to be in control. Okay, and so when problems come, when difficulties, even when they are spiritual in nature, I want to do something about it. I want to get my hands on it. So what, what, you know what I do? I, I've done it. Some of you even see, I've even preached on it. I put prayers together. What do you mean put prayers? No, no, I write 8, 9, 10, 15, 25 pages of prayer. And if you think I'm joking, I am not. He said, why is that? Well, because I'm going to control this thing. Bless God, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to work my way right into the throne room of God, and I'm going to get this fixed. And God goes, what are you doing, man? No, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. I think God enjoys the prayer. I think he enjoys the effort. But when then all of a sudden my prayer begins to take place of his presence. So I'm going to pick on you now a little bit now that I've kind of picked on me. Do you know what worry is? Worry is the, your attempt to fix it. That's yeah, you trying to fix things. Do you know what fear is? It's you believing in the negative. Do you know what anger is? <laughs> all, all of you that are saying, oh yeah, need to listen. What, was that too rough? Anger really is us walking away in the emotion from God. It's us distancing ourselves. And what happens is we get angry. See, anger is always a secondary emotion. It's always the result of something. It's always, this is my response. I'm going to respond. And what we do is we get angry, we get upset. We, and so we, we know enough with God, at least. We know enough not to shut him completely out. But we just put distance. But you know it's precisely then, when you're feeling that, 
that he says, come to me. Draw close to me. Because it's going to make a difference. So let's look at our text. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 22. It says, since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now in this passage, there is one main straightforward command, and that is to draw near. That's what God wants you and I to do is to draw near. In fact, church, I believe it's the theme of the Bible. I know that there's things like faith and love and all of those things, and all of those are real and they're important, they're powerful and they're big and they're large and all of that. But at the end of the day, church, God wants us near him. That's the whole point. In fact, the revelation that I had this morning in the 8.30 service is I said, has it ever dawned on you? I got, I, I, literally, this happened at 8.30 while I was preaching. I, I, it dawned on me. God came and he, he made Adam. He, he formed him with the dust of the earth and he handmade him. And then the Bible says he breathed into him. So in other words, the thing that made Adam live was the thing that came from God. And so he made him and put him in the garden and then the Bible Bible says that God sought for a helpmate because he said it was not good that man be alone. And so he sought for a helpmate and he could find none. None were found that were adequate that could be uh, Adam's equal mentally, socially, physically, uh, uh, intellectually, and on and on, emotionally, and all of that. So what did God do? God took something from Adam and formed his helpmate. He took something out of Adam. And it dawned on me this morning while I was preaching is that is the very picture of God. God wanted a helpmate, so he took something of himself and he formed you and I to be his helpmate, to be alongside of him. And the goal of the Bible has been to bring us back into that place. In fact, in the New Testament, it says, that you can sit on the throne with Jesus right next to the Father. That is what he's always wanted. That's why we draw to him. But what happens is when we go into trouble and we have difficulty, when we get disappointed with God, what do we do? Rather than drawing to him out of our lack of understanding, we put God on trial. That's what we talked about last week. What's going on, God? Why doesn't your word work? How come I'm not healed? Why isn't there enough money? How come I give, 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 and I don't get, get, get? Why is my children still lost? Why is my husband still a nightmare? Why is my wife? And on and on we go. And we're mad at God. And what it is is we're drawing away. And he says, come to me. Come to me, draw to me. Listen to these verses. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may fi- have mercy and find, uh, have mercy and find, and may find grace to help in the time of need. He goes on in Hebrews 7, 25. He says, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for the, us. Listen to that. He always lives. 
His life. Who is he talking about? Who's the he? Jesus. Jesus' life is about making intercession for you so that you can draw close to him. He goes on in Hebrews eleven six. without faith it's impossible to please him for he who draws near to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them, th- those that diligently seek him. Not those that seek him, those that diligently seek him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? When we look at these verses, there's only one command and that's to draw near to God. Our Father in heaven has one simple, deep, high, holy, seemingly impossible goal for us and that's to draw near to him. And it has been his goal from the very beginning. And the greatest desire of God's heart is that we would get near to him. You know, I asked my wife, we were sitting in the office in between services this morning, and that whole revelation, because that was kind of a moment there, that whole thing about God creating us. And I thought about it for a moment, and I thought, could it be that in the midst of all that God's created in the eternal past, that he found nothing. And so he, was, he felt lonely. Now I know that's ascribing to him a human construct. And, and, and that is not my goal here. But I, just in the context of our finite mind, is it that God in the eternal past was looking through all that he had created and found nothing. And so out of himself, he created man. And he breathed into him and then said, I'm going to live in him. And he is going to be my son and my daughter. And I'm going to have fellowship with him. And I'm going to give them free will so significantly complete that they could literally walk away from me that they have the power to completely destroy everything I create and walk away. Because the moment he chooses to draw near to me, I'll know his heart is mine. And I thought about that. I thought, wow, what a, what a thought. I mean, it's at least think, uh, worth thinking about. But that just begins when we begin to think about that. I, I, I just, it blows me away because that's how much God wants us. Church, I've been guilty. I've been guilty of getting angry. I've been guilty of walking away from, getting distracted, bored. Quite frankly, there's been times I've been bored at church. I know you people never have, but I have. I've been bored. I, in all these years, I, you know, next year, next year, 2022, I'll be saved 50 years. And in that time, that salvation, there's been times where it's like, you know what? You know, all the glitz and glamour and the glitter and the shiny stuff of Las Vegas looked a lot better. I'll be honest with you. What do you do for fun? I read my Bible. You know, you, you know, we know the old Christian thing, right? And there's been times where I've just kind of pulled away and walked away. Not understanding how much, how significant my presence. We talk about the significance of his presence in our life. But I've never thought in terms of how significant my presence in his life is. Now, I'm not trying to lift man up higher. There's, I know there'll be naysayers. I get it. I'm not trying to lift up man to a place that we think more highly than we ought to. But I don't think that's our problem. I think the fact is we think too low. 
I don't think we realize what God did through salvation. I don't think what he did, did or what, what he accomplished in our lives. His greatest desire is that we be near him so he'd have fellowship. Listen to this. Revelation 3.20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears me, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Now, the reason this is significant is because this scripture has been taken out of context in most Christian realms and has become a pretext. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't have some merit as a pretext. He said, what do you mean? They've taken it out of context and they've used it as a tool of evangelism. And I believe there is a, a, a legitimate meaning there. But that is not what that verse is about. Because if you go back and you read Revelation chapter 3, you'll find out that just before Jesus says these words, he's speaking, he's writing a letter to the Laodicean church or the lukewarm church. Somehow these people had grown to a place where they were neither hot or cold. In other words, they, were near, they weren't necessarily good, but they weren't necessarily bad either. Somehow, in the midst of just being busy for Jesus, Jesus ended up outside. Because Jesus is the one that stands at the door and knocks. And the door is a doorway to your heart. And somehow in the midst of all of this, in the midst of the trials, the tribulations, the, the things we got to fix and solve and the problems and the difficulties and, and all of the things, the busyness of ministry and life and family and home and paying bills and all of that, this one that takes up residence inside us somehow ended up on the outside. And now he's standing there and he says, I, I'm knocking on your door. And if you'll hear me, I want back in. Imagine kicking Jesus out and not even knowing you did. <laughs> God help us that we would settle for a Christian Christianity that is at a distance from God. And that God would just be a distant thought and not a very near and present reality. See, drawing near to God is not a physical act. It's not achieved by your accomplishments. It's not necessarily going to a church building or walking to an altar up front. You know, if, if anything, I've, over the years I've been very proactive about what we would call, and I'll use a very fancy word, demonstrative worship. I like worship where people are, I love it. I love the energy. I love it when you watch these youth rallies where these young people are just, we're on fire worshiping God. I love it. I love being in that atmosphere. Do I like doing it? Not really, because I'm a big guy and big guys don't jump well. But there's something about that atmosphere. I'm, I'm for. I, you know what? I, w you know what I wish. Can I? Can, can we just get honest? I wish during our worship services, you all would get out of your chairs and come to the altar and worship God. <laughs> Did you feel that? 
But I am not so foolish to think that if we did that, anything would change if our hearts don't change. I'm not so foolish to think that if we put up smoke and lights and, and we have, you know, maybe I come in flying on a trapeze and, you know, just do wild and crazy. I would love it. I love the show. But I'm not so silly to think that that would change anything if we don't draw near to God. But I also am not so silly to think that if we keep doing what we've always done, that we'll get anything more than we got. Drawing near to God is not moving from one place to another. Drawing near to God is intentionally directing our heart into the presence of God, who, whether we believe it or not, is here right now. Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 through 12 say, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may obtain to the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already obtained or already perfected, but I press on that I may lay a hold of that for which Christ has also laid a hold of me. Paul's writing and he said, you know what? There's a lot of things going through my life, but there's one thing. This one thing I do, he says. This one thing. That's to seek after him. That's all. That's what I want. I want to know him. I want to know him. I don't, I don't care. I don't, I don't care to know anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified, he said. I want to know one thing. Scripture is filled with verses of different people, vastly different times, incredibly different circumstances, but they had one desire, one focus, one ambition, one purpose, and that was to draw near to God. Church, It is a hard, it's a hard separation because it's hard to see the truth in it because we are, we are so human. <laughs> because like I said, humans want to fix and do and be, and if we can't fix, do, and be, then our tendency is to back off. Our tendency is to go into neutral and just cruise. At least, or let me just say that, this is me. I, you know, I... And please, I, I'm used, what, what I'm about to say, number one, I'm not complaining. Number two, I'm not in crisis right now. Number three, I'm not bummed out. I'm using what I'm about to say as an example out of my life. In the last eight years of my life, it's been very difficult. Coming into the role of senior pastor in this church has been excruciating. I've had to learn some things. I got forced by circumstances into a position that I thought I might have been ready for, but I don't know that I was. And I had to face things, and, and I faced stuff. Not only, it wasn't just facing what the reality of the church and being lead, it was the reality of where I was spiritually, who I was. And so it's very easy for me 
to, to, to fix that feeling by doing things. The problem was, is the things I wanted to do, not everybody else wanted to do. So then there was a conflict with things. So what I found is I found myself drawing back because I couldn't do anything. And so I felt a lack. And so I had a hard time, and I'm, I was trying to find God, but I was not pursuing God. I was not after him. I was hoping that he would show up. I was it's like, well, maybe one day my ship will come in. And what I'm learning now is he says, if you'll pursue me, you will find me. It's kind of like this picture of, of a little kid. You know, it, it happens with the grand boys. Uh, when they are little, you know, it happened with Oliver when he was little and Titus and now little Owen. And, you, you know, you don't have to run very fast. Outrun Owen, <laughs> which is really good for me. But, you know, he'll chase after. He'll chase after, and he's wanting to get Grandpa. But there comes a point in his chasing when Grandpa stops and catches Owen. See, in the midst of your pursuit of God, there'll be a moment when everything changes. You will go from being the chaser to be the one being chased. You, you, you will go from this pursuit to being caught. The problem is, is that everything inside us tells us different because it feels like we're wasting time or it feels like we're not connecting or it feels like, church, we got to stop going by what we feel. We got to go by what we know. I'm going to have Jason come. I want to just finish up this message by communicating to you just a couple things that I think are the benefit of drawing near to God. The first one is when we draw near to God, there's an impartation of His life into ours. In Proverbs chapter 8, verse 34 through 35, it says, Blessed is the man who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my door. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. There's a great joy when we seek him and find him. In Psalms 105, 3 through 4, it says, Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those rejoice who seek the Lord. Literally, in the seeking, there is rejoicing. There is a, an abiding peace and rest when, he's, when we seek him. In 2 Chronicles 4, 7, it says this, Therefore he said to Judah, listen to this, Let us build these cities and make walls around them and towers and gates and bars while the land is yet before us. Because, because we have sought the Lord our God, we have sought him, and he has given us rest on every side. So they built and prospered. You know, there was a unique thing that would often happen in the Old Testament 
with the various kings that were godly. These godly kings would rise up and they would take over from an evil king and they would reestablish worship in the temple. They would reestablish the, the relationship of Israel with God and that they were doing things God told them to do and they would tear down the high places and get rid of the idols and all of that. And then the Bible says after that conflict, after that initial conflict that got things right again, that God would give them peace and there would be no war in the land for 30 years or 40 years or 50 years. See, I, I contend to you today that you can actually seek God and be in a place of stability and peace and rest in the midst of a world that is lost in chaos. There's revelation when we seek him. In Jeremiah 33, 3, he says, Call to me, and I'll answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things which you do not know. But that call, that call to him, that's not a one-time thing. It's like I called to him and nothing happened. It's probably a better way to render this in the, in the reading is as you continue to call to me, I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. There's deep understanding when we seek him. In Proverbs 28.5, it says, Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand all. There's strength when we seek him. Isaiah 40, verse 31 says, but those that wait on the Lord, this is this idea of waiting. It's, it's not just sitting in a chair, you know, tapping our fingers. It's kind of like a waiter waits on tables. Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. There is security when we seek him. In Psalms 27, 4 through 5, it says, One thing I've desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. What is he talking about? See, in David's day, dwelling in the house of the Lord was to dwell in the presence. To behold the beauty of the Lord, to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me, and he shall set me high upon a rock there is satisfaction and contentment when we seek him Matthew 5 6 says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be filled you know there's so much more I, I, I've literally taken probably half this sermon out so I, as a little homework I go home today just take 10 minutes it'll probably take you less than that Read Psalm 63. Take some time and just read Psalm 63. And church, I just want to encourage you. I, I'm not telling you to lay down all that you're doing and just forget it. No, just add seeking God. Listen for the knock, because he is knocking. And open the door. Let him come in. Let him sup with you. Let him fellowship with you. Let him talk with you. Just be with him. I venture to say that I'll, much, if not all, of the things that you're dealing with will become very small in comparison, if not altogether disappear. 
and those things that remain is in the midst of the seeking, he will give you the wisdom and the ability to know when and what to do and how to do it. That'll be effective, that will change everything. There's something about that seeking. There's something about that pursuit. He said, draw near to me. Come to me. That's what he's always wanted. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what has hindered you. But let Jesus minister to that by drawing to him. Can you say amen? Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you, Lord, for God, all that you've spoke to us. God, we thank you for this revelation. And Father, I do pray, God, that you would remind us, God, Lord, that you would every now and then give us that nudge when we're getting distracted or pulled away or whatever it might be in our own humanity, that you'll just kind of nudge us and remind us, seek me, look for me, you can find me. Lord, show us, even in the smallest of things, God, that you're there, that you're with us. And Father, I pray for every person that's in this room today, God, that is struggling. God, they are struggling with disappointments and discouragement. And Lord, they feel depressed and they feel disconnected. And Lord, they're searching, God, for where you're at in all of this. Lord, many of the things that go on in their life, Lord, they know they have the promise of the word, but it doesn't seem to match up to the experience of their life. And so, Father, I pray, God, that you would gently and graciously come to them, remind them to seek you. Lord, that in the process of that seeking and as they find you, they will find everything that they need, God, for life and godliness. And Father, I just give you the glory and I give you the honor. And I wonder, as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, but you'd like to. He says, me, Pastor, I'd like to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, would you... Lift up your hand all across this place. Lift it up if that's you today. You need Jesus in your life. You want Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. You can look up at me. I just want to encourage you today. Encourage you to seek God. Tonight we're having our breakthrough service. Six o'clock, we, we, have, we, we have a time of worship and a time of prayer. We go about an hour, hour and 10 minutes, and then we're gone, we're home. It's not a big investment of time, but it can make all the difference. It can make all the difference. Your life could change. You say, well, I wanna seek God. Well, come tonight, seek him in worship. Come, don't, you come with the expectation. Here's your expectation. I'm gonna find you, God. You're gonna meet with me. Whatever you wanna do, you'll do. Whatever you wanna accomplish, you'll accomplish just let him minister to you, okay? Would that be good? Why don't we stand to our feet all across this place? I'm going to close service today. And so let's just close in a word of prayer, and then we'll let you get out of here today. Father, we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. God, I thank you for every person in this place. And I pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon them as they go. Father, remind us of this truth every day, God, that we need to seek you, draw near to you. And Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our ministry team is... Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.